Hi, this is David Flower, senior pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. He is risen. He is risen indeed. At the beginning of the service, we heard a portion of the resurrection account from Matthew's gospel read for us. I'd like to begin my Easter message by reading Mark's resurrection account. As Mark is the gospel lectionary text this year and is believed to be the first gospel ever written. As I think you'll see, Mark's account is rather appropriate for where we find ourselves today after a challenging year and still many uncertainties ahead. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Mark chapter 16 for our main scripture reading. I'll encourage you to follow along with me or just listen as I read. And please stand for the reading of the sacred scripture. Mark chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Think back on your life for just a moment. What was the most unexpected thing that you ever experienced? You may be thinking of a pleasant or not so pleasant surprise. What comes to mind? I can think of a few things, but I I really do think that the events of this past year tops them all. And while we may already be able to see some good and things that that have come out of the pandemic, many of us are still feeling a dark hanging cloud over our lives and are wondering, what do we make of this and where is it all going? And that's probably as close as we're going to get to knowing what the women felt when they encountered the empty tomb that that first Easter morning. You see, they didn't expect to find the tomb empty or to have this mysterious encounter with the angel telling them that Jesus had risen from the dead. And you may be thinking, well, why not? Uh, After all, didn't Jesus tell them that this would happen? It's true that Jesus did speak of his resurrection, but to his disciples, even to the faithful women who followed him, his words were confusing and cryptic, vague at best. But mainly their surprise was because they had no category for what Jesus was trying to say to them. 
They had no room in their thinking for a dying and rising Messiah. So when Jesus died, all of their hopes died with him. And so let's be clear, the disciples weren't sitting around on Holy Saturday thinking, well, that was all very unpleasant yesterday, but never mind, in a day or two, he'll be back. They may have lived 2,000 years ago, but the first disciples knew what we know now. When people die, they stay dead. And while they did believe in a future resurrection of the dead, as most Jews did in that day, that wasn't supposed to happen until the end of time. Nobody expected it to happen to one person in the middle of human history. And if it did, it wasn't something they were prepared to celebrate right away. It's the sort of thing you flee from, trembling and bewildered. Because let's face it, none of us can process that quickly. Friends, something extraordinary and unimagined happened on the third day. And it was going to take some time for the disciples to recall the things that Jesus had said and connect the dots as their hearts and minds were now being illumined by his resurrection from the dead. They, they would all eventually see, they would all eventually touch him. It would change everything. First and foremost, there was no longer any doubt. I mean, Jesus had been vindicated by God the Father as the legitimate Son of God. What he did was done in God's power. His healings, his miracles, his exorcisms, his teachings, calming the storm, forgiving people's sins, his hard sayings, his rebukes of the religious leaders, and his turning over tables, it all has God's stamp of approval. And it means that Jesus isn't just teacher, prophet, Messiah. He is the Word made flesh. He is Yahweh in skin. He is the creator of the cosmos. He is the Lord of glory. He is the exact representation of God's being. Folks, Jesus is God's selfie. As I said, it changed everything. For the first disciples, the resurrection meant that a victory had been won over the forces of darkness and the principalities and powers. It meant that the power of sin and death had died with Jesus on the cross. It meant and still means that our sins were nailed to the cross with Christ. All of it. Our guilt for wrongdoing, our shame for what we've done, our complicity with evil, our idolatry, the times we denied or betrayed him, and every dark hidden thought we've ever had crucified with Jesus of Nazareth on a hill far away. That's because he chose to forgive and love instead of condemn and judge. In other words, Israel's God, who is the creator of the whole world, came to earth, revealing his character and his will for us and human community in Jesus, and we crucified him. As we see in the Gospels and still see today, we did this because of our lust for political power, our narrow-mindedness, our greed, jealousy, hypocrisy, arrogance, fears, our need to scapegoat, our desires for retributive justice, and our broken understanding of ourselves, the world, and God. But he took it all on himself. He bore it on the cross. He carried it with him to the grave, and he left it there before rising from the dead in a glorified new body. What did all of this mean to the first disciples? It meant that a whole new life, a new creation, something everyone thought was future, was opening up and beginning in the middle of the present evil age. It meant that heaven and earth had come together in the risen Jesus, making Jesus the first to undergo what God promises to do someday with all of creation and all those who believe that Christ is Lord. The risen Jesus is proof of God's good intentions. 
But you don't get any of that. None of it is true unless Jesus was physically raised from the dead and metaphysically transformed. You can't get there by spiritualizing the resurrection to make it more palatable to our post-enlightenment anti-supernatural age. In fact, if you do that, the whole story unravels. I mean, for goodness sakes, it wasn't because of a ghost or group hallucination or a mass LSD trip that brought these scared disciples out of hiding and willing to die for their faith. It wasn't a spiritual, non-bodily resurrection that birthed an unstoppable movement within weeks of it happening. No, the only thing that can make sense of the empty tomb, which every classical historian worth their salt acknowledges was empty, and make sense of the explosive growth of Christianity is that Jesus was literally raised from the dead. Also, if you don't have a physical resurrection, then we can't be assured that God is going to redeem and renew the material world. So we then too easily slip into a platonic or Gnostic understanding of the world where we plan to someday fly away and escape for an ethereal existence in a disembodied heaven, which means we can then abandon any concern for creation and how we treat the planet. And this is what many evangelicals have done, reducing the gospel down simply to saving souls and not caring so much about suffering bodies in society. And that Antarctica is breaking off into the ocean as we sit here this morning. But the bodily resurrection of Jesus means that it all matters. Creation matters. How we run the planet matters. How we steward our resources matter. How we treat each other matters. It also means that people can change. The societies can change. And that the world is not headed for the cosmic trash can, but rather for renewal and resurrection. And knowing that ought to shape the kind of people we are and who we are becoming. But again, you don't have those things without bodily resurrection. This is why the Apostle Paul in his treatise on resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 says, If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And here's some really good news. The bodily resurrection of Jesus means that our current trials and tribulations, all of our sufferings and our struggles, have meaning and purpose because of Easter. It's not all for nothing. As Paul said, we labor not in vain. That's why Paul also said in Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 18, he said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know, know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Paul says in verse 24, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. 
In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. In verse 31, he said, what then shall we say in response to these things? Now that we know this to be true, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who, who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Church, he is risen. And there is power in that message, in that new reality that Paul speaks of. If we're brave enough, maybe even foolish enough in the world's eyes to believe it to be true. And here's the thing, it's only when you believe it to be true, that is you accept Christ and are born again and again and again, that you can see and know its power. But you must believe in the crucified and risen Jesus in order to come into the kingdom. You must believe and become Easter people. Easter people. That's what American author and literary critic Barbara Johnson once said. We are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. That's because the future kingdom age has broken into the present evil age. The new world is coming, but the old world hasn't let go just yet. We're Easter people living in a Good Friday world because resurrection is confronting death on its way out. The light is piercing the darkness, but not without a fight. This brings us back to Mark's resurrection account and his abrupt ending. He said, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. And Mark's gospel ends there. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid, Mark says. What kind of ending is that? Well, as we know from other gospel writers, it's not the end of the story. But it is where Mark ends for dramatic effect. Now, whether he intended to end his account this way or it was lost to history as some scholars believe. In God's providence, we have been given a gift in Mark's ending. Think about it. Mark's ending says what has happened to Jesus is mysterious. It says this world, like the scene at the empty tomb, can be puzzling, confusing, even dark and sad. But it also says that something new is happening, despite our fears and anxiety. 
And his cliffhanger ending invites his readers to ask these questions. What do you think happened to Jesus? Why was the tomb empty? Who are you in this story? And why do you think, what do you think will happen next in this story of unexpected events? So what do you think happened? What do you think will happen next? For us who are Easter people, we say we know. We know. Now, I don't mean we can predict what's going to happen tomorrow or what life will look like on the other side of the pandemic, but we can say that whatever happens, the risen Jesus will be with us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and who knows how he might show up. One thing is for certain, as Easter people, we believe that anything is possible. Finally, I'd like to close with some thoughts from Esau McCulley, who's assistant professor of New Testament at Wheaton College. This past week, he wrote an article for the New York Times and shared how we, as Easter people, should view life on the other side of the pandemic. While it certainly caused for joy and celebration, Esau writes, we need more than celebration. We need unsettling presence. To listen to the plans of some after the pandemic, we are returning to a world of parties and rejoicing. This is true. Parties have their place. Let us not close all paths to happiness, Esau says. But we're also returning to a world of hatred, cruelty, division, and a thirst for power that was never quarantined. This period under pressure has freshly thrown into relief the fissures in the American experiment. He says, as we leave the tombs of quarantine, a return to normal would be a disaster unless we recognize that we're going back to a world desperately in need of healing. For me, the source of that healing is an empty tomb in Jerusalem. The work that Jesus left his followers to do includes showing compassion and forgiveness and contending for a just society. It involves the ever-present offer for all to begin again. And folks, that is what Easter is all about. Brothers and sisters, it's an event that changed things forever. It says that whoever you are and whatever you've done, you can begin again. But you must be born again. That is part of the invitation for us this morning. If you're here and have never trusted in Christ and been filled with his Holy Spirit, you can receive him today, and I hope that you will. For the rest of us, it reminds us that Easter people are hopeful people, not cynical people. For cynicism is the real plague of our day, and it's not compatible with our faith. And maybe you need to trade in your cynicism for Easter hope this morning. Is that you? If it is, I hope that you'll tell the Lord about it. Also, being Easter people means that we are faithful to Christ and his church, the chosen instruments of God's healing to the world. And so we are intentional about discipleship and community. So maybe you need to draw closer to the church and 
prioritize your faith over things of the world and stuff that's not going to last or matter when you're gone. You, begin, you can begin anew with those things today. And if that's you, please respond to the Lord's voice. Lastly, Easter people want others to know the risen Jesus. That's because we have this conviction that without Christ, we are lost and are unable to save ourselves. And because it's only through knowing Jesus through the body of Christ as we grow and serve him together that the world will be changed. Do you believe this? If so, I want to invite you to embrace it more fully today so that our lives might say to a watching world, we are Easter people. However the Spirit is calling you to respond, I invite you to do that now. As a closing prayer, I pray these words over you and for you, our church. A prayer from Paul to the church in Ephesus. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Father, we ask for this power today, the power to live as Easter people. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and do for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. Help us now to respond to your still small voice and be obedient to your words of life. In the name of the resurrected Christ, we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen.